Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. I went to Dallas Seminary and I really enjoyed my time at Dallas Seminary. But sometimes graduates of seminary can veer off in one of two directions. Happens all the time. Let me tell you a little story. A famous preacher was invited to speak back or to preach at a seminary's chapel. And while he was there, his Hebrew professor showed up to hear him. Afterwards, his Hebrew professor came up to him and said, If you come back... I'm not going to come and hear you preach again because I only come to hear my previous students one time. And then he said to him, I'm glad you are a big godder. When my boys come back, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders. And then I know what their ministry will be. And the preacher's like, what are you talking about? Explain to him what you're saying. And the professor said, well, you see, some men have little gods. Gods can't do miracles. He can't take care of the inspiration and transmission of the scriptures. They have a little God, and I call them little godders. Then there are those who have a great God. He speaks, and it is done. He commands, and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those who fear him. You have a great God and He will bless your ministry. What about you? Are you a big godder or a little godder? Do you believe that the Bible is full of a great God who works for His people and He is the same great God who works in your life? Too many times our God is too small. He's distant. He's uninvolved. He's uninterested. Sometimes we believe that he can't come through for us. But the reality is that our God is a big God, a great God, who powerfully works on your behalf for your good and for his glory. And I'm really hoping that by God's grace today, we will see how big and great God is no matter who he shows himself to be. So let's get our bearings as we look again in the book of Joshua. For those of you who are new, just visiting, we've been going to the book of Joshua, studying it this summer, and we have discovered that the battle belongs to the Lord. Bringing up the speed, the nation of Israel is off of fresh battles that they have won at Jericho and I. Had a little setback last week in the Gibeonite deception, but now it's time to start and take the rest of the land. This morning, we're going to look at something called the Southern Campaign, which means they're taking the southern part of the Promised Land, and next week, we'll see the Northern Campaign. Once again, as we go through chapter 10, specifically the second part of it, let God be God. We may bring a lot of assumptions to the table of the way God should act and shouldn't act. Once again, let God be God. We're going to see two specific things and aspects of God today. God as warrior and God as judge. 
God as warrior, and God as judge. So let's start out with God as warrior. As we open up chapter 10, we see that Israel, along with the power of God, have been routing these five nations that banded together. And the Lord assured Joshua this victory would take place. Look at chapter 10, verse 8. Verse 8. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. And after this, Joshua and his army do a little sneak attack upon the enemies, and they start to pursue them. And Joshua, along with the Israelites, start to slaughter them. Then God gets in on the action of warfare himself, and look what he does in verse 11. As they fled before Israel, while they were at the descent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the stones of Israel killed with the sword. So the Lord starts throwing these large hell stones from heaven, and the stones don't hit the Israelites, but only the enemy. And we are told that God killed more with the hell stones than Israel killed with the sword. Now, still not done. God is still involved in assuring this victory. Pick it up in verse 12. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. FYI, the book of Jasher is probably a book or a song book that records famous victories. And in this case, and on this occasion, the sun and the moon stood still and the day was lengthened so the Israelites could finish off the Amorites and they could not escape into the night. I'm not sure of all the details. I don't know how God worked this miracle. All I know is he worked the miracle. And what we have in this passage is hailstones sent down to destroy the enemy, and the day lengthened to show the power and sovereignty of our warrior God. Once again, are you a big godder or a little godder? Do you believe that God worked mighty miracles on behalf of his people? We are one of those churches who are considered crazy in our day and age because we believe the miracles of the Bible. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe the miracles that Jesus did. We believe in his glorious resurrection. We are big godders. And we would go so far as to say, unless you believe in the miracles of the Bible, then you have no Christianity at all. C.S. Lewis has put it like this. The mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion. Because the reality is the only true Christianity is a Bible full of miracles performed by our great God. Our God is powerful. Now let's just not leave it at that theologically. Because if you truly are a big godder, 
then you will live your life in line with him. And get this, you will even pray like it. Do you pray like God is a big God or a small God? Well, Joshua prayed like God was a big God as he is. Look at verse 14. I love this verse. There is no day like that before it or after it when the Lord listened to the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Isn't that great? Joshua prayed in line with the will of God and the work of God and the Lord fought for Israel. Joshua prayed in line with the will and work of God. God answered his prayer and fought for him. And you think, well, but we're New Testament Christians. We can't just pray stuff in line with the will and work of God and he's gonna do that. Well, listen to what Jesus said. He seems to urge this type of prayer in John 14, 13 through 14. John 14, Jesus, this is Jesus. He says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wow, that's in your Bible. When you pray in Jesus' name, you're praying in line with his character and his work and his authority. And as you approach God, something consistent that you want to bring before him in line with his character and his work, we are told, according to his authority, Jesus will answer that kind of prayer. And the ultimate end of that kind of prayer is the glory of God. And the same God who answered Joshua's prayer can answer your prayer as well. And as the Lord fought for the Israelites, so he will fight for you. Basically, what we're getting at is pray like you believe God's going to answer your prayers in line for his glory, in line with his will. Basically, pray like you believe, which is true, that he is a big God. And he wants to do things in your life and in your world. To pray like it and to believe it and to follow in his will. Now, so far, so good. All of this, most of you, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this. God is a warrior. He wars on our behalf. We fight the spiritual battles. We wear the armor of God. So far, so good. Now, we want to live that and believe like it. But what follows may catch you off guard. And like we said previously, God is not embarrassed by a single sentence in his Bible. And we're going to move on to God as the judge as we move on to what is known as the Southern Campaign. And what I want you to notice is the complete destruction and annihilation of the enemies of God. And it starts with the city of Makeda. Look down at verse 28. Look at verse 28. I want to make sure you see it in your Bible. Now Joshua captured Makeda on that day and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed it and every person who was in it. He left no survivor. Thus he did to the king of Makeda, just as he had done to the king of Jericho. Same result with Libna. Jump down to verse 30. Verse 30. The Lord gave it also with its king into the hands of Israel, and he struck it. And every person who was in it with the edge of the sword, he left no survivor in it. Thus he did to its king, just as he had done to the king of Jericho. 
Same with Lachish and Gezer in verses 32 and 33. Look at verses 32 and 33. The Lord gave Lachish into the hands of Israel, and he captured it on the second day and struck it. And every person who was in it with the edge of the sword, according to the, all that he had done in Libna. Then Haram, king of Ezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua defeated him and his people until he left him no survivor. Utter destruction. Utter destruction comes upon Eglon as well. Look at verse 35. They captured it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword, and he utterly destroyed that day every person who was in it, according to all that he had done to Lachish. On and on, the annihilation continues. It's not just an isolated incident. It continues on to Hebron and to Deber until we get to the summary in verse 40. Thus Joshua struck all the land, the hill country, and the Negev, and the lowland, and the slopes, and all their kings. He left no survivor, but he utterly destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Not only is Israel destroying every man, every woman, every child, and every infant they encounter in the land, they are doing it at the Lord's command and the Lord's blessing, and he was pleased with utter destruction. One of the determining factors on whether you believe in a big God who's true or a little God of your own making is what you do with these passages who display the judgment of God. If you skip over, ignore, or change the wrath of God, then you have skipped over, changed, and ignored God. You no longer have true God, but your little creation of a false God. While at the same time, let's just admit, it is quite jolting to see God endorsing and leading the charge in warfare of complete annihilation. These are parts of the Bible that people in our day, including us, have legitimate questions over. And I'm going to attempt, with a little bit of time that we have here, I'm going to be brief, to answer some of those questions by giving you three things to think about, all right? As we, because this is not isolated. You'll see other passages in the Old Testament that say the same thing. So let's think about this. First thing I want you to know is that God is patient. It took us generations to get to this point. God says to Abraham back in Genesis 15, 16, that he has laid out a timetable in acquiring the promised land. This is what God said to Abraham, Genesis 15, 16. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The pagans living in the land are on a timer. God is delaying his judgment until their sins reach such a point that his judgment will land on the land. And this delay 
is over a 400-year period before the Israelites show up for war. Up until this time in Genesis, the sins of the Amorites and the people of the land were building and building and building until judgment hit. God is patient. He waited generations before doing this. Second thing I want you to know about God is that God judges sinners. God is a holy God and he judges sinners. Let me tell you about the sinners in the land. These sinners practice child sacrifice. They had a deviant sexual morality and all types of sins that brought God to the point of judgment. And God used his people as the instrument of his judgment against these nations. But get this. God's judgment is also against all sinners who stray from his commands. And if you think, okay, God, get those pagans, what does God end up doing as you start to progress through the Old Testament? You find God judging his own people. Why? Because his people start to practice child sacrifice deviant sexual morality, idolatry worship, and just as he once used the Israelites to judge the pagans, now he uses the pagans to judge the Israelites. Why? Because God judges sinners, makes no distinction. So we see his patience. We see he judges sinners. And we also see that God purifies his people. I don't know if you know this, but part of the destruction of the pagans in the land is so that the sin of the pagans would not corrupt them. God sought to keep his people pure by removing the sinners from the land, which didn't work so well because if you want to just don't look now, but take a peek at Judges and just see how that book goes. Because you have the pagans influencing the Israelites and the Israelites start participating in doing the stuff of the pagans. That was not God's intent. They were to wipe them all out and purify his people. All right, let's ask the, the hard question. Why can't we do this? We're the people of God. Well, obviously, this type of warfare is not to be imitated today, and we as Christians are to be opposed to all types of destruction, but get this. Israel at this time, you understand the difference, Israel at this time was set up as God's nation state, and they were to inherit a promised land. And at this particular time in redemption history, they were to take over the land and purify it. They were, be, they were to be a blessing to the earth, and part of that blessing was to display the righteousness and holiness of God in dealing with sin. Now, obviously, we do not function this way as a church. We are not a nation state occupying the land. I mean, this may blow your mind, but America is not the promised land. Can I get an amen? It's not. It's not the way it's set up. We are called and commissioned at this time in redemption history with the gospel. And with this gospel, we take it out and we call everyone in the world to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ because judgment is coming. 
Because God still judges sinners. But he's patient. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all come to repentance. Unbelievers are now on a timer. God is patient. I know many don't like to think about the judgment or talk about judgment, but judgment is coming to the world. Judgment is coming to Hot Springs Village and every single person in it. Hot Springs Village, as beautiful as it is, Hot Springs Village is on a timer. Judgment is coming to every single person. And by his grace, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear his wrath and his justice and his judgment in the place of sinners. And all sinners who flock to him, put their faith in Christ, can have judgment poured out on Jesus instead of them. And this is through repentance and faith in Jesus. And though Hot Springs Village is on a timer, there is a rescue for now. But there will come a time at their death or when the Lord comes back that there will be judgment. Now, let, let's just do this real quick because I know some of you are saying, yeah, but what about Jesus? Because I'm, I'm reading the Gospels and Jesus seems like a pretty nice guy. He seems pretty mild. He seems pretty gentle. What about Jesus? How does all this judgment talk fit into Jesus? Because maybe you went to some, some churches you grew up and you're reading about Jesus. Those are nice little moral stories about Jesus. He seems like a nice guy. Well, let me fill in the picture of Jesus. Let me give you a description of what Jesus looks like at his second coming. Now, I don't ever really have you turn to places in the Bible because I want you to you know, be at peace with the Bible open for you, but let's turn all the way to the back of the book of the Bible. Come on, let's all, turn all the way to Revelation. Let's do it. We can do this. The Baptists love this. All the way. <laughs> Revelation 19. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. This is Jesus Christ at his second coming. Let me introduce you to Jesus if you don't know this about him. Let's start in verse 11, Revelation 19. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. That's Jesus. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. That's Jesus. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, calling to the birds of heaven flying in midheaven, come 
and a symbol for the great supper of God. So that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and the armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with a sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Seems kind of similar to Joshua, but we're talking about Jesus. Does your understanding of Jesus include a warring Christ? Does your understanding of Jesus include a warring Christ? Too many times, we focus exclusively on Jesus in his first coming and ignore the aspects of his character in his second coming. But you must have both to fully appreciate and know and cherish the worth of Jesus. In his first coming, Jesus came as a humble sacrifice to give his life as a ransom for sinners. In his second coming, he will come as a fierce warrior to strike down unrepentant sinners. In his first coming, Jesus came as the suffering servant bearing the wrath of God in the place of sinners. In his second coming, he will come as the king of glory in all his fullness to strike down the enemies of God. And these images may be jarring. And these images may may make you think, but everything is so peaceful and everything is so comfortable. But I want you to understand this. These images and this truth from the word of God has brought comfort to suffering Christians for ages. Can you imagine as a persecuted Christian, you're seeing your mom and dad be killed for their faith? To know that judgment is coming one day, there will be a vindication. And for those of you who have undergone such terrible abuse, whether it's sexual abuse or physical abuse, to know that yes, while on this earth, you pray for the repentance of those who are evil against you. You pray for their salvation. But if that continues on and on and on, you know that you have hope that judgment is coming. There will be a vindication. And the same can be said for those of you who've been wronged. Injustices have come against you. You need to know that judgment is coming. Do not throw out these portions of the Bible because you need them for hope. Something I read, I found that very encouraging. Put this up for you. It says, no mild God or soft Jesus can give his people hope. So if you have a mild God and soft Jesus, I'm going to ask you, where is your hope? Because no mild God or soft Jesus can give his people hope. And this is why we want to believe what the Word says and who God shows Himself to be, a great God who is a warrior and who is a judge. 
And even now, that warrior judge sees you, he cares for you, and he battles on your behalf. And I know there's the delay in his coming. I was just talking to my nine-year-old daughter on the way over here, just she and I in the truck. And she's like, I sure hope Jesus comes back before I die. I don't want to die. Hope he comes back. Because her understanding was Jesus is going to come back and just kill everybody. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Those in Christ are safe in him. And the rest are on a timer. And you may be here this morning and you may not be putting your faith in Jesus and you've never thought of that before. You are on a timer. I do not know when your life will expire. I do not know when Jesus will come back. But I do know there can be safety for you. There can be forgiveness for you. There can be grace for you. And it's not by you doing all these hoops to jump through and all these good works to get saved and show them how awesome you are. It's just coming before them and say, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness and I need grace. And you can have it this morning by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.